right, everybody, welcome into another edition of the Canes Insight Podcast brought to you by Caneswear. I am your host, Peter Ariz, alongside D Money. And it was a bloodbath at the Rock, D. Uh, unfortunately, we get on here every week, and this is uh, this is about as, as bad as it gets. Yeah, I think back to 2020, Miami beat FSU by 42. I was laughing at FSU for the basically the next two years. Now a 42-point loss in the same stadium. Um, it's brutal, and what's really brutal is FSU is not that good. You know, to, they're not that talented. They're not Jameis Winston, Dalvin Cook, FSU. So for them to deliver that kind of beating really hurts. And if I had to sum up what we saw, we saw a f- very functional team, a team that is functioning at a high level. Coaches on the same page. Players experience in the system on the same page. Transfers on the same page. And then a dysfunctional team and a dysfunctional organization you know i don't want to be that strong because there's still time for them to build but it's not working right now this function is is really the word uh that i would use with this program because individual coaches kevin Steele didn't forget how to coach just use defensive backfield for an example we saw again al blades on the long pass dj ivy got the blame and dj ivy's not having a great year and you know we we could talk all about that al blades according to everybody, had a miscommunication on that play, really was responsible for it. That happens every single game. And if you look at it, Kevin Steele did not forget how to coach defense. I mean, this guy was doing incredible things at Auburn very recently. Uh, Coach Adai did not forget how to coach defensive backs. He had an amazing defensive backfield at West Virginia, top-ranked second ranked in the country on top of what he did with Georgia with those five-star players. So what happened? Nobody's on the same page. Al Blades, four-star player with experience. DJ Ivy, a four-star player with experience. Um, and those safeties are all blue-chip players. That secondary is really all blue-chip players. All the guys that play are four-stars. I don't think there's a three-star that plays on Miami's defensive backfield. So why is it not connecting? Why is there such dysfunction? And I think it starts with the fact that these guys don't know each other. They didn't, they're not speaking the same language uh, as a staff. You have a very tough system that is not a lot of fun to play in if you're not winning. A very demanding system on coaches and players. And as a team, you know, your players are getting trashed in the media. But they look at the offensive coordinator and say, why is this guy not getting trashed? He's performing worse than any of us, statistically. So it's a, it's a tough situation and, and really a, a dysfunctional team right now that we're looking at every week. The dysfunction is one thing, but when you look at this roster, you know, you go up and down uh, across the board, how far off is Miami and, you know, Cristobal? Obviously, this is kind of his uh, claim to fame is, you know, the ability to build a foundation and hopefully a roster now, um, as we're seeing what Oregon's doing this year. Um, so what, how far off are they? You know, the roster, obviously, it's not where it should be. And, the, and you look at the recruiting rankings, yes, the, the roster does not match the recruiting rankings. But this weekly performance, and they've looked at every game, is not a matter of just not having enough talent. Now, I will say... For years, I would always go to NFL numbers and point out that Miami had NFL numbers up with every other t- top team, and they were struggling. People would say, oh, well, those are you know, day three picks or whatever. Miami's numbers in the NFL, even with like in terms of day three picks or whatever, that's all gone down. Miami does not have a volume of players in the NFL, and you see the difference. Look at 2017. Those guys, Cager's playing, Barrios is playing, Mike Jackson's playing great. Uh, Redwine uh, was a pro. Jaquan Johnson. Njoku. Njoku. Uh, Herndon. These are all guys that played pro. McDermott even bounced around a little bit. I mean, those guys all played pro. We can go down the line. I think pretty much the whole roster played pro. D. D Delaney Muhammad, is still playing. I don't know if you said him. Right. So when you, look at th- when you look at this team and the last couple of teams, 
those guys aren't making the pros. It's a, it's, I mean, who's made the pros recently? It's a, it's a dwindling list. And a lot of guys that maybe look like they were going to make the pros, like a right. Bubba Bolden or something like that, they don't actually get there. Um, and that, you know, I think that is, that is a problem that talent's not as good as it should be. But at the same time, I don't think it's only a talent problem. But let me ask you, you know, you from a scouting standpoint, you don't have to be specific because I know that, um, you know, obviously you're in this game as an agent, but what are you hearing about the current talent on the team from an NFL standpoint? Well, um, I, you know, as I've said before, this is the guys who are draft eligible. You know, we're not talking about some, obviously a Nigel Lee Kelly. We we all think is going to be a, a very talented guy who has the potential to be a, a top level pick down the line. But that's not those types of guys. We're not we're not talking about. Um, I would say Tyreek Stevenson, pro, you know, has has a, a very good chance to go probably higher than what the fans see um right now but again obviously his his season's been up and down a lot of that stuff gets figured out uh in the pre-draft process or postseason process when these teams really try to figure out what happened at Miami this year so when you look at how a lot of these guys get viewed so you know part of what the scouts job is to figure out Okay, what what happened last year? What happened this year? Basically, um, figure out the certain factors that maybe went into their performance on the field this year, right? But Tyreek would be a guy that uh, it, you know is going to get drafted and has a chance to go, you know, again pretty high in in, in thing, relatively speaking. So that's that's one guy there. Obviously, the TVD situation—it's very. That's a very complicated situation. It's, it's tough to um, say this is what his projected round grade is, but obviously, he's still a guy who's on the radar and, and is an NFL type talent, right? So, I'm not gonna get into like round grade with any of these guys, really. But you know, he's a guy who's still a an NFL talent. Um, some guys who have been banged up a Zion Nelson. Obviously it's been a, you know, a tough situation for him. Um, Miami could have used him big time this year. Uh, Will Mallory is, as a guy who has had his ups and downs in terms of the injuries that could affect him. Um, but I, I see him as a guy who's going to get an opportunity to play in the league for sure. Um, and yeah, you know, we talk about the DJ, uh, again, is going to get an opportunity as well because of the, the physical ability he has, but the film and, you know, he's going to be another one that you go through the interview process and they're going to want to find out, you know, okay, can we get that out of him? What, what, you know, his physical traits lead you to believe he could be right. So yeah, it's, again, you're not talking about guys who are slated to be first, second, third round picks right now most likely so that uh that shows you what the nfl thinks yeah and, it, and i'm and i'm listen this is just off the top of my head I'm, i may be missing a guy here or there but um that's just kind of the consensus right now but even then those are still guys that can play and no one is really play, playing at an all ACC a Mesador is a guy who's on the radar too, by the way. So that's right. You know, he I don't want to leave him out. He should be. And some of these under, you know, sophomores can play. Right. It's. I think it's down from what has been in the years past, which still was not a ACC winning roster, but it's still better than what we're seeing in terms of the consistently bad performances every single week. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes to just the dysfunction of the organization and the team. Um, switching gears, you know, Georgia Tech. It's amazing how important this game is. Miami being a dog. Uh, if they want to be bowl eligible, they got Clemson coming up. So you chalk that as probably a loss. You got to win two out of three. Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, this is the game you got to have if you're Miami. Um, you know, there's been no official announcement on quarterback. I would expect to see a lot of Jakari Brown. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. I don't expect the whole offense to be changed overnight, but it'll be interesting to see if he can generate some excitement and juice with his performance here. Uh, I imagine Georgia Tech is going to play a lot of zone, have their players facing him so he's not running by him in main coverage. Um, probably put an extra guy in the box. Can he make those easy throws into the zone consistently? And when the uh, play is available over the top, can he make that throw? 
will be interesting to watch, I think, against Georgia Tech. That's what I'll be watching. It's the, that's the exciting factor of that game. If you're going to watch that game, you want to see what Jakari can do, uh, given, uh, given a lot. Jake still has a chance to play and, and do his thing in that game as well. Um, but that's certainly going to be interesting. I'm also interested in seeing you know, Rooster. Um, we saw a little bit of the old Rooster in this FSU game. Can you see him potentially emerge, especially if you're doing basically a read option offense that suits his skill set? Can you see him do something against Georgia Tech? Because a big rooster, 60, 70 yard Been touchdown. Been waiting for him. Been waiting for him. And, and that was nice to see. That would be, this would be the week, I think, against Georgia Tech to see, to see what he can do. But what are some of the things you want to see against this Georgia Tech team? Well, look, the defense has had, time, has had moments this year where they've been really, really good, especially up front, right? This is not a very good Georgia Tech offense and a very good team in general. Let's see those guys up front kind of reestablish themselves, right? And when I say up front, again, I'm talking about the defense. I, they're very limited on the offensive line because of everything that's going on there at that spot. But at the D-line, I expect those guys to be able to control the game up front. Let's see them get back to that, not just in this game, but the, the end of the season because – there's some pieces there that are going to be here moving forward. So everyone's looking for, you know, the, the bright spots, right? And and part of looking at the roster, right, is looking at the Jaleel Skinners, for example, and hoping that those guys can show some flashes over the last few games. But that D-line is going to have a lot of pieces that will be back most likely, and it's going to be a strength of the team, or it should be, because – you expect them to obviously supplement that, whether it's portal, some big time guys coming in to add to that. But I would love to see them, you know, going back to the AM game, right? How everyone was so excited. Obviously, uh, it was an ugly game, but there was a lot of things to get excited about from that game. Let's see if they can get back to that because you understand right now the offense is not going to be explosive, but they can finish out strong in that regard, I think that would go a long way for optimism moving forward. Yeah, just a win. If you forget what it feels like to have something to look forward to. The Virginia game, you felt bad after because it was so boring. Virginia Tech game was really boring as well. And but they were wins, penalized. so you could at least say yeah. they, you know, move, win and move on. Maybe some big plays. You know, Jakari can make big plays. This offense seems allergic to it, but Jakari can do it. Uh, Knighton can do it. That's, that's, you know, that would be nice to see as a fan. Um, but moving on to, we're bringing on our buddy Steve Kim, who has seen a lot of bad hurricane football in his life, seen some good too. So we'll talk to him about, uh, where we're at and and he he always brings the energy i mean obviously not many great things to look at from last week but he always finds a way to you know put it in perspective the fan favorite steve kim after this all right we are joined now on the canes insight podcast presented by canes where by steve kim who joined us few weeks back, it was, he was a big hit with the fans, uh, you know, always brings the energy. Steve uh, with Snack.com, uh, as well as the three knockdown rule. I know that's coming back uh, soon, Steve, with uh, host that with Mario Lopez. Um, and on with, J- with Jason Whitlock, fearless with Jason Whitlock as well. Um, so you can find Steve all over the place in, in the boxing uh, world. And, of course, uh, is a big-time Canes fan. Uh Every week, it probably gets harder to to stay uh, a big time Canes fan, Steve. But uh, thank you for joining us tonight, gentlemen. Great to join you. Uh, I I got to give you guys credit. You guys are troopers for going on week after week after week, especially this last. Well, luckily, I was traveling last week, so you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. Is- uh, I, I have a feeling I know what we're going to talk about. You know, it's funny, guys. Last week on Twitter, I was. I was uh, perusing the timeline and i saw something that came up and it's one of these neat little graphics from one of these environmental sites and it, and they talked about do you know how deep the ocean really is and they had this fancy graphic where they're like a submarine and they're trying to tell you just how deep certain bodies of water really are because i don't think most people realize how deep it really goes and so in the beginning they're going to like a lake then they go to like the brim of the pacific ocean 
And then, then they start going really deep into the Red Sea, the Caspian Sea. And like there are certain like like depths of water that are like four, five, six miles deep. And it kind of reminded me of the Miami season because every time I think we hit rock bottom, whether it's Middle Tennessee State, then it's Duke, and then it was last Saturday. And I'm like, okay, have we hit the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean yet? Because there's been at least twice I've said, okay, this is it. This is it. This is ground zero. We're going to be good. We're going to rebuild from here. And then last Saturday happened. That that was that was one of the most depressing games to watch. I've never seen a team quit after the third play with the pass interference call. It's just it's disheartening in a lot of ways, guys. Yeah, Steve, my favorite thing about talking to you is the historical perspective. I just found out you're 50. I mean, you look yeah. you look you look a lot younger, man. So uh, keep doing what you're doing, but this season, this team, does it remind you of anything? I mean, I use the comparison of, of 2007 at, uh, at Randy Shannon, that first team where he had, you know, some all-star coaches like Jeff Stoutland, um, Wes McGriff, Tommy Robinson, Tim Walton, guys that went to the NFL and, and had success. Um, you know, and then the bad offensive coordinator, great recruiting class number one at that time. But it didn't all, you know, it just didn't work out and the team was horrible. Where would you what would you compare this season and this team to historically? Danny, I know you put up a really good post. Uh, said, you said this is 2007 all over again. I, I wrote a column comparing this to 1997, and I think we're both right. I mean, that's like saying, hey, what, which was worse, the landing of the uh, Hindenburg or the uh, the voyage of the Titanic? They're both kind of bad. They're they're same but different, but. This this season is a disappointment. And look, I am a believer in Mario Cristobal and the big picture vision that he has. But given the fact that last year they still won seven games, you bring in this high-priced coaching staff, which included a Broyles Award winner, and and you thought you had a first-round quarterback and and some talent sprinkled in and, and some transfer portal guys. I, I, it's hard to really quantify just how big of a disappointment this season has been, but it's stunning because I, I laid out some realistic goals earlier this year. I said, win every home game and win every game that you're supposed to, right? Well, think about this. They're on a three-game losing streak at the Hard Rock, and they've gotten blown out more than once. And they've lost games as favorites. They've lost games as underdogs. They've lost games at home. They've lost games on the road. I'm not so sure what's going to happen the rest of the year. I said to you guys about four or five weeks ago, I think the number one goal is that we have to find out, or Mario Cristobal does, which guys really want to play the game of football instead of just saying that we're college football players uh, and we're at the U. And then you got to figure out which guys really have a future with the program based on their upside and potential. I think, guys, that Cristobal and company made a little bit of a calculated a mistake here instead of going full Lincoln Riley and just completely purging and overhauling the roster as much as you could. Cause I think they brought in 30 players. I mean, they went all in, right? Mario tried to finesse it a little bit, maybe give certain guys an opportunity to grow into a role as a solid starter under his regime. It just hasn't happened. What I'm being told guys, and I'm sure you guys have heard the same thing. There's going to be a massive purge. It's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen real fast. It's going to happen abruptly. I think the writing is on the wall for certain players whose uh, snaps have already been cut the last five, six weeks. And in essence, the safe number, and tell me if I'm wrong, guys, is at least 20 guys will depart the program, and we're going to have 30 new ones coming in. Yeah, that sounds right to me, and uh, I think it's actually four home losses in a row, unless I'm counting oh, wrong, right? Middle yeah. Tennessee, North Carolina, Duke, and oh, now Florida State. Geez. You know, my wife was yelling at me at the game for taking her, wasting her Saturdays that many times in a row. Um, so if there was Kane's TMZ in our section, they would have been reporting it because it was it was ugly. I was taking a beating, um, <laughs> but but yeah, four home losses. Definitely have not won the games we're supposed to. And yes, on that on the number of players, I think that's right. But Steve, you've heard how many times have you heard the new coach complain about the roster? At some point, does it get, you know, do you just tune it out? Because I feel like every new coach has complained about the roster and talked about a purge and the 
the, the culture in the locker room. And, you know, four years later, three years later, we're saying the same thing again. So how do you see this one playing out differently? Danny, we have to be honest. Anytime a coach comes in, it's for a reason. The team wasn't good enough, which then if you, you see the, if you see the, the trees through the forest, that means you better have more players. Look, you can have a middle ground here. Is, is there enough talent to where Miami wants to be eventually? Of course not. There's a reason why Manny Diaz is now the coordinator at Penn State. But was it realistic enough to expect that we would have an offense that would at least score a touchdown once a game? We are now, I think, 10 quarters in to a touchdownless streak, which I think is unprecedented for the modern era of college football. Guys, I watch games all across the country 14 hours every Saturday. A lot of offenses are easy. Nowadays, if you're not scoring at least 30 points, you are basically below average. That is modern-day college football. I think last year we scored 34 points, which put us in the top third. We weren't necessarily elite, but we were pretty solid under Rhett Lashley. But I do think culture is an issue. I've been told that it was so easy under Manny Diaz that he was the cool uncle. He was the very easy substitute teacher that you get a lot. You could get away with a lot of things. And and I'm not knocking either approach, but you're going from one extreme to another. And I said this on a space yesterday. Miami, in terms of leadership, has gone from Michael Scott of the office at Dunder Mifflin to Logan Roy of succession. I, I mean, Mario has been described to me as a very hard, tough guy. That's his and, DNA. And, and, and Steve, yeah. that's not just for the players, by the way. Yeah. He's hard on the people who are who are in that building working there, right? So it, I don't think this is just an adjustment for the players in there, right, in the locker room. It's they, these coaches who are, as as uh, D-Money's referenced multiple times throughout the season, as we're fine, everyone's coming from, for the most part, different places, right? And and they're they put this they put the staff together, uh, you know, piece by piece. He did bring a couple people over from Oregon, but I think it's been an adjustment for the Peter, staff as well. You know what I was told uh, about three four months ago? No, I was told this over spring ball from someone who would know. Under Manny Diaz. And this is not a knock on him. This is not an indictment. Uh, Manny would let guys after work, kick their feet up, have a beer or two, hang out, talk some ball, unwind, breathe a little bit. Under Mario Cristobal, there's no alcohol, not even a stale Coors Light inside that building. I was even told at like the alumni dinner, no alcohol. Like This is a business setting now. Now, I'm not taking a side. Right. I'm just for saying, better or for worse, we you know we don't know what right. how these little things how it really affects right. what's going out uh, happening on the field. But again, when you, when you hear of these the chatter of there being dysfunction and stuff like that, right? Um, that I think doesn't just come from the players. So yeah, and look, this is the interesting thing that I've always felt like the the, the really elite programs. And obviously that's Alabama, Ohio State, um, Clemson, and you know whatever SEC program has that one good year. Georgia. Football is not always fun. It's rewarding, but what is rewarding is not always fun. There's a sacrifice, and there's a, there's a standard that you live up to. It's hard and it's tough. But you know, Danny, I showed you a screenshot of one of my texts from 11 months ago as we were in the process of landing. Mario Cristobal, I said, Mario's a great recruiter. He knows how to run a program. He knows how to build one. But I do worry about who's his offensive coordinator. Some of this is on Mario. And look, I do I think it's fair that we blame everything on Josh Gaddis? No, but when you produce an offense as anemic as this, yes, someone has to be accountable for it. And that is the offensive coordinator, who, by the way, has to then be the responsibility of the CEO of the program. And I think that is first and foremost, one of the things that Cristobal has to deal with starting in mid December. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's, this all plays together. So Peter's talking about, and I've heard the exact same. It's not a fun environment for the coaches, for the players. It's a hard program. It is business-like, which it's rewarding if you're winning, but when you're losing it's and it's tough. Yeah. And then when the, players are getting buried by Mario, justifiably so in some cases, 
And then they look in the in the box, and it's Gaddis putting together the worst product in the country, really, for the price. There's no way to get around it, considering that he inherited a quarterback on NFL radars, and he's putting together this product. Um, yeah, if I was a player I'd, or a, a coach, I'd say, what the, you are you doing your job as the head coach? You hired this bum? I mean, what, like... The credibility from the top, I don't know if it's there yet because they, they could see what he did in Oregon and everything else. But for what they're seeing, they're seeing coaches, in their view, that aren't doing their job. They're running hard as they can, and the results aren't there. It's a, it's a, it's a tough mix, right? I mean, it's, it's got to be Danny, let, I mean, again, it's easy to blame the players, and they are the guys that play. But I, the way they handled that quarterback situation last week, I thought was a little bit bizarre. I would not have started Tyler Van Dyke. It just felt like this is a desperation move. Let's hope we pull a miracle. Let's hope our offensive line magically morphs into the 2001 unit. Okay, but to paraphrase Rick Pitino, uh, Brian McKinney ain't walking through that door. So then he gets hurt, and it's obvious, as you're, and I'm watching this game on the television screen. I don't know what everyone else saw there at Hard Rock. He's wincing on every throw. And I'm watching this going, we're not dare bringing him in, are we? So then, okay, so we bring him in. Obviously, it's not going to work out. Then what I didn't understand was the quarterback shuffle. Look, you got to go with one guy or the other. I, I, I still don't think Jakari Brown is ready to be an every-down quarterback. He gives you nothing in the intermediate pass game. And Jake Garcia is obviously very flawed. But to bring him in on third and long at his own two-yard line, cold, I, I just thought that was an absolute abomination there, fellas. Yeah, that was bad. I mean, there's so many plays you could point to. What about with when, you know, Jakari lined up and they tried to get Q with the offensive lineman on the perimeter and they got uh, illegal formation? It's just if you are a player or another coach trying to trying very hard and getting worked very hard and you see this, you know, debacle unfolding it, it's hard it's just uh, it, there's so much dysfunction at so many different layers there's i don't know where it stops peter but... yes peter i want to go back to something i asked you last month and you dealt with a lot of these kids uh, during another chapter of your life and these kids care about the systems they're going to play in especially if you're a skill position guy Definitely. you want to go to an offense where you're saying hey in two years i'm going to catch 65 balls 1200 yards and score 10 touchdowns what Miami is running right now is an absolute repellent. Well, and and everyone wants to talk about the, you know, the recruit the recruiting class, right? I think a lot of whether the class sticks together or not, which I I I do think it does for the most part. Not to you know, I'm not saying this for Canes fans to be alarmed, but choosing the the offensive coordinator, you know, it, you know, if there is a change, which obviously it looks like there will be, um, after the season. Um, making sure it's someone that you can kind of sell because obviously there's not going to be much to point to from this season to to show these you know guys that you're trying to sign or well, you know close in on. That's the psychology of a great recruiter. See, this is this is what they do. Um, if you're a Nick Saban coming off a national title, I've heard this story at the victory party in New Orleans while everyone's having a celebration on Bourbon Street. He's actually at the uh, team party. In a room locked up by himself, calling kids at like one or two in the morning, saying, Hey, kid, next year's team means nothing. He's got a lot of graduating guys. You got to be a part of this. That's one way you sell. Now, if you're right. terrible, which we are, I guarantee you, Mario Cristobal is saying, See, that guy, that guy, that guy, and that guy, he's out of here in about five weeks. You can start day one. So it really well, is. That, I mean, listen, that, that had to have been the, the, um, the number one pitch with McLean, right? So. You all, I, you know, the scary thing is these, not only could these kids start day one next year, I think some of them would be better than what we have right now, like leading into Saturday against Georgia Tech. Another thing we need to look at, guys, and this is where the CEO of a program has to oversee every aspect of this football, strength and conditioning. I know Aaron Feld is his guy. Danny, Peter, I've never seen a Miami team this banged up ever before. Honestly, it's like an infirmary in there. Yeah, and then, you know, fourth quarter, they're terrible as well, so you haven't seen any conditioning show up. Um, is it the way they practice? Is it the, the the summer program? I mean, I don't know what it is, but the results are 
Jalen Rivers went down. Some of these are freak injuries, but the volume is crazy. I, I, listen, what you just said, you know, is it's hard to pinpoint one thing, right? But what I'll say too is I I remember I forget if it was with Feely or with Gus Felder. I think it was one was was with each. They were there were people saying, well, there's a lot of ACL injuries happening. Then with I think it was with Feely with. The, the neck injuries, right? Shoulder. The sh- yeah, well, the really, shoulder injuries. But, shoulders, but yeah. and then there were a couple people who had those, the, the you know, the career-ending neck uh, things. So, obviously, the results haven't been great on that side, like like we're talking about. But I, I, I'm just, I, you look at it and you can go down the line with every, with each, you know, strength and conditioning coach that's been here and it feels like there's been, you know, a complaint from the fans on. on yeah, well, Danny, there. you said this before that I think you posted it on, on Kane's Insight. Mario's old school in a sense that these practices are going to be tough. He likes to say iron sharpens iron. Okay, but what if you don't have a lot of iron? I I mean, you could, the, the practice that I went to during spring was the Thursday before spring the spring game. So I, I assume that was a rather light practice. But you talk to anyone uh, that's been around Crystal Ball, you know, whoever you trust, they'll tell you he wants a tough practice. There, there isn't that big donut that they practice that rugby tackling. They're not just going in shells. They're going to hit. But I, But when you have a coach like Manny Diaz who ran a relatively soft, uh, slow-tempo practice – I think some of these kids have found out this just is not for them. Not at ready least not for with it, this yeah. particular coach. Yeah. We talked about it all offseason. Listen to this podcast, some of the previous ones before we went to the studio in spring. These were the most physical practices that I'd ever seen at Miami in terms of taking on blocks, just the constant physicality. And the hope is this is going to make us a more physical team than what we saw with Manny, improved tackling, et cetera, better run blocking. The issue that we had last year, that hasn't really happened, and there's just been a lot more injuries. So is this going to be solved with more depth where you don't even notice these kind of injuries and you just get an overall more physical team? I, know I people- think that's part of it too. I, I, just, I think that some of these injuries and the injury issues get amplified. And, yes, there's a, it's like we were talking about before, it feels like half the team is out. But when you don't have that depth, you you kind of think about the injuries more than, you know, if someone else was just stepping in there and you don't notice it as much. Well, P, let me ask you. I know you talked to Scout before when Mario was getting hired or in the process of getting hired, and he talked about the physicality of Mario team. So what did he say about how those Oregon teams looked from a scouting perspective? They looked like an SEC team, and that was the biggest thing that he said was that he will change the culture of what's going going on, you know, at Miami, which, you know, scouts who have been going through there for years don't look at it the same way that, you know, uh, a lot of people nostalgically would in terms of it being a, a talent producer because it's just not that. Or it hasn't, hasn't been that. Yes, there are guys year after year that will go high and, and things of that nature, but it just hasn't been that consistent uh, machine. But... That was his first thing is that he's going to do a good job of changing the culture there. Didn't say it would necessarily uh, mean that Miami would be in the uh, playoff running every year. But, you know, you you combine the athletes that you could get down here with that culture being built and you have something potentially really, really special, right? And guys, let's give Mario some credit. That Oregon team, that's the most improved team from week one of the college football season. Georgia is good. They got blitzed. They got overwhelmed. But right now, they are a top 10 team with a couple of breaks. They could sneak their way into a playoff spot. But here's the thing. Look at what they are running offensively. Right now, I thought I would never say this. Bo Nick should be in the Heisman discussion. And a lot of that has to do with the stuff they run for him. And, you know, look, Oregon fans are, are very bitter over what happened. They're like the scorn lovers. But they have a point. Oregon offensively is dynamic. They're fun. They're fast. I mean, that looks like a modern-day college offense. I look at us right now, and again, I realize we are banged up all over. Boy, that just looks like slop. It really does. And and you know what? I I told somebody, and I told everyone I've talked to, guys, I would rather sacrifice this season. And if it comes to a point of losing every single game from here on out, which is a possibility, go with the youth movement. Wesley Besaint, 
Nigel Kelly. Uh, let's see what Jaden Harris has. Let's get him back out there. Um, whoever's a young guy that we think can play and has a future, hang more with Anes Cooper. Let's get – because that. there's a possibility we may not get a bowl practice because we may not make a bowl game. So let's see, do we have 25 guys that we can build this and say, okay, those are Mario guys that he can trust that we can battle with going into next year and beyond, and let's see who has earned a roster spot for next year. Yeah, and you know, I agree with that. And next year, let's be real, people – there's so many questions people ask me about Gaddis. I don't think Gaddis is going to be back. I would bet a lot of money he's not going to be back. Yeah. I, I just – I'm operating like he's not coming back, and, and I'd be shocked if he comes back. So you are somebody who, going back to like when Coker was the offensive coordinator, you were always complaining, and, and you had a very good feel for the offensive coordinators nationwide, and Norm Chow was your guy um, before he kind of rose to fame, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah, he's my uncle. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> so so what kind of offense, it doesn't be so detailed, but what kind of offense do you want to see Miami running next year? Well, let me get into this, though. Uh, everyone talks about the rebuilding of Butch Davis, how it was this process of, of five years, right, to get from first game UCLA 95 to basically culminating at the same place, the Rose Bowl with Larry Coker. That's basically Butch's team. People have to I, – I remember this. Late into 1998, our defense fell apart. We gave up 66 to Syracuse, Donovan McNabb's uh, senior day. We gave up 45 to UCLA and Cade McNown. And then even in the bowl game, North Carolina State put up like 30-something points. And Butch Davis had a very difficult decision. He relieved his original defensive coordinator of his duties, a guy by the name of Bill Miller. Good, solid football coach, but he felt as though he had to make a change. Bill Miller ended up going to Michigan State, I believe. We brought in this young, up-and-coming guy by the name of Greg Schiano, who kind of brought in some bare defense, some 46 fronts, more blitzing. And it worked. So progress isn't always quick, and it's not always in a straight line. Not linear, yep. Mario's facing his Bill Miller moment nine games into this thing, which I never would have expected from a Broyles Award winner. Look, here's the type of offense I want to run. Pro power spread. You see it throughout the country. Uh, teams, look, there's not a lot of teams that run a fullback anymore. It is what it is. But when I look at our offense, I don't really know what we do. There are times that we line up in – Five wide empties. I'm thinking, okay, let's go with that. But beyond what we run, I want to run a little bit of tempo. Guys, our games are methodical. They are monotonous. They are slow. It's not very good entertainment, and, it, and it's not effective. But look at what Tennessee has done. They got throttled last week by Georgia. That happens to a lot of people. Their offense really is not all that sophisticated. If you really break it down, you talk to people that really know the game of football, but they do a lot of things that get guys out into space and they do it with tempo and they have athletes running in free space. Guys, how many plays can you count this year on the second, third level where our receivers catch the ball and are actually running with the full steam of momentum down the field? How many times does that happen this year? With nobody near him or, yeah. or yeah. with someone right not on their hip? I mean, no, never. I can't think of it. I really cannot. I look at what TCU is running. That's a fun, entertaining offense. Does that mean we have to get Lincoln Riley's brother and make him an offer that we can't refuse? Um, I don't know. You know, you know an offense that I really like this year, and it's interesting how he's kind of evolved because he's not what he was uh, 10 years ago, Chip Kelly. I, and But again, it's taken a while because uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson was a long-term project who's now developed into a guy. He'll get drafted and probably make a roster. You watch UCLA, they still do a little bit of the spread, but, they, but they're good up front. And that's where Mario's going to be good. I think we're going to be really good in the trenches within a year or two. But you look at UCLA, they run some of the most clever running schemes up front. And then after that, they set it up, they layer it with real true play action. Look, I want to give Gaddis a little bit of a break here. Our offensive line has been so bad um, that we haven't run the ball consistently enough to actually ever layer a shot down the field with play action. I think last year we averaged about 125 to 130 yards rushing per game. I think that was in like the 98th in the country. Never in my wildest dreams that I think we'd be actually be worse than that. So th this season has been a disaster. And I'm with you, Danny. I, I do think 
that Gaddis will be the fall guy. There seems to be a lot of rumblings from what I heard that were percolating by the second quarter on Saturday night. It's not even fault. He deserves it. I mean, the results speak for themselves. This is the worst offense in I can remember in Miami, worse than Enos, and he inherited good quarterbacks, talented quarterbacks. It's good. Look at Manny. Manny. Manny inherited the most dysfunctional, toxic, bad character quarterback room I, I've ever seen. Good Good for uh, Nikosi for getting out of that, but it, that was horrible. And then Kirby and Kyle for, for Shannon, that's as bad as it gets from a talent standpoint. This is not that. It should not be this bad, but, you know, it's funny. You mentioned the Bill Miller moment for Butch. Butch really didn't have a defensive coordinator or an offensive coordinator because Coker was not a good offensive coordinator. That offense was not good until he got a great offensive coordinator playing quarterback, yeah. which was Dorsey. And the first three games he started were record-setting the best three-game yeah. stretch of offense ever in the history of Miami in 99, his first three games starting. Now we know why the offensive coordinator situation improved because he is a world-class offensive coordinator and always has been. You know, the thing with Dorsey was real interesting. Uh, that's when I came up. In 1999, Kenny Kelly, he's probably the last Division I major quarterback that uh, of any note that never participated really in spring ball. I know that was a real issue, and that's why eventually he got jettisoned out. But if you go back to 1999, there was a lot of high hopes that Kenny Kelly could be our version of Charlie Ward. We stuck him into this pro style that didn't really fit him. And I used to call it the Coker team because we had to simplify the offense to a point that on a team that had Reggie Wayne, Santana Moss, and even Andre King, who made the NFL, we ran way too many two tight end, two back, one receiver formations on first and 10 from the 50-yard line. I said, we are literally running goal line formations with this amount of talent. And that's when I called it the Coker team. And you're right about Ken Dorsey. As soon as Ken started – after Kenny Kelly got knocked out of that Virginia Tech game that just got away from us, we ended up losing that game 42-10. He ended up starting against like Rutgers and Temple and Syracuse. And immediately, and it just goes to show you, you have to fit your offense to the players you have. I, I watched those games several times during that stretch. All of a sudden with Ken Dorsey, we're running three wide trips, four, and we're passing the ball and we're running things that we had not run for Kenny Kelly. The, way, the, way, the reason why I'm bringing this up was I said, because there was a lot of debate over Josh Gaddis and, and his efficiency, because there were some critics out there, namely Zach Smith, the former Ohio State coach. I know people hate him. I, he called his shot like George Herman Ruth because he kind of called it on him. But what I said is that I don't know what Gaddis is going to really run. Because we don't know if it was a Loxley offense at Bama, and we don't know how much input Harbaugh had at Michigan. But that offense has to be TBD friendly. Basically, you got to get into the room with Tyler and say, Tyler, what do you like to run? What are you comfortable? That's my offense. And if he was plugging a square peg into a round hole, which it looks like he did, guys, shame on him. I talked to a couple people who are D1 FBS coaches. So these are not, you know, there's not Peter and, and Danny here. These are Coaches in the game currently. And both of them said the same thing, which is Miami does not have a scheme. Miami runs plays. Right. Nothing is together. It's just they just run plays. Nothing right. to set something else up. and yeah. There's no identity. Yeah, I mean, there has to be a layering. I mean, there's this one play that's become infamous. It's, like, it's one of the third down or fourth downs at Virginia. All of our players seem to kind of run into the same area on a third and three. And I was like, what, what is that concept? It's, uh, there's no rhyme or reason to what we do in watching the second half of that game. Because, look, Jakari Brown gives us athleticism we've never had at that position. However, it's so one-dimensional that outside of that mesh point play and the read option, stuff of that nature, you cannot run a, a regular pass offense with him yet. Not saying he's not going to get there because, look, Lamar Jackson, I saw him his freshman year. Um, by 2016, the guy was winning the Heisman. It does take time. But it, it, I, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, exactly, who's now in the MVP discussion. But, you know, what I find interesting with, with Jakari Brown is why not just pare down the offense for Jake Garcia, do what he does well, which, again, is limited, and then anytime you need to convert on second or, or third and one, fourth and one, third and goal, 
then you bring in the Jakari cat package. But if you're going to do that and say, all right, Jakari, you're playing 75 games and we're going to count on you to consistently hit that a gap as a runner and play 1930s football. I, I just don't see that working. You know, I disagree just because we can't pass now. I mean, I couldn't like, I'm trying to think of the best passes from TVD this year. I can't even think of five whereas I could think of 15 off the top of my head from last year. And Jake, I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw him complete a pass to, a, a, you know, orange and green. And I know the guy's capable. I've seen him in practice. But with this offense, the only thing I trust is Ja'Cory's legs because he can't cut those off. Because, I mean, really, no one is passing the ball in this offense. Guys yeah, that have talent. It kind of reminds me of that famous, infamous quote from Jim Mora, the older one, before he resigned. We couldn't run the ball. We couldn't pass the ball. We couldn't tackle the ball. We couldn't do diddly poo. So that's, <laughs> that's the name of the offense, the diddly poo. Because quite frankly, I just look, I, I have been told that there is a, a group of people at UM that are very unhappy with Gaddis. I actually believe that there were people that probably wanted him not even to finish the season. I don't know how realistic it is. I don't know what that really does. But, guys, didn't you find it strange that in the midst of this Cristobal honeymoon that he hired his position coaches before the coordinator? Shouldn't it have been the other way around? 100%. I think that's going to be the adjustment when the staff overhaul happens, which it will happen, is a little more cohesion, particularly on the offensive end. Because you can have all-stars, but if there's not, if, if they don't speak the same language, you're going to get what you got here, which is just complete dysfunction. Oh, yeah, and so that, look, we're playing Georgia Tech, and if you would have told me based on, even as of a month ago, because we know Georgia Tech had to fire their coach, and they've actually played hard. I want to give those guys credit. Georgia Tech's actually turned into a pretty tough out. But if you would have told me at the beginning of October, hey, guys, when we go into Atlanta, we're actually going to be an underdog against the team that fired Jeff Collins, I would have given you a 1,000 to 1 odds. <laughs> That's bad. Yep. <laughs> and, bowl, and playing for really bowl eligibility, because if they don't win this game, forget yeah. the bowl. That's not even in the cards. You got Clemson after that, I mean, forget about it. Yeah, but I, I think the big story, we all got to look ahead. Look, uh, this is year one. I am not advocating for the firing of Mario Cristobal. I am still firmly in his corner. But I think, you know, this has been talked about on the boards, Danny. There are scheme coaches that could literally turn things around within a month or two, right? Because they can run a new system. They're really good at the X's and O's. They can scheme things. But the guys that try to instill a foundational culture, that may be a little bit more difficult, and that might be more long-lasting. So, I, I look, I hate to say be patient, but there's nothing we can do about it. I think for better or worse, Mario Cristobal is our coach. I think he's the one guy that has given has been given the resources to really turn this back into a real football program. But this is going to be one of the most interesting December and Januarys ever, not only for the early signing day, but – we are going to see a mass exodus of players like we've never seen before. I know Manny Diaz was always given credit for winning the offseason. I mean, he was a Vince Lombardi of February through August. But even during his stretch, we've never had, I believe, a turnstile where players are literally going to be leaving in mass. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, it's inevitable. And there's going to be a couple of good players on the way out. I think most of them probably are not going to be that good. Uh, as Philly said, to this point at Miami. But you got to have buy-in. And the, 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 the tricky part is, are, do you replace him with portal guys like Lincoln Riley, like you mentioned earlier? Or do you yeah. replace him with a giant class of Danny. high school kids, which I think might be more the direction they go? Well, you have to do both. I, I'm being told they've already looked. They already kind of know their portal guys. Right. If, if you don't think these teams look ahead – if you think any of these programs just waits to the deadline, right? So, okay, let's look at the – no, 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 no. This isn't like Black Friday where you line up on that uh, Thursday night before after Thanksgiving. No, no. Trust me. These teams check the waiver wires. Um, there's other things that probably don't go to the letter of the law, that this is the Wild West now. This is what you're getting. Uh, you know what's interesting, though? 
inside the building, I know there's still a lot of optimism over what's coming in in terms of the recruiting class. I know a lot of fans are panicking that no one's going to want to go to Miami. Uh, this is now a toxic program. Everyone's going to decommit. I, I actually think there's more optimism inside the Heck Center or the Schwartz Center than there is with the fan base. So that's good to hear because, quite frankly, I was getting a little bit worried, too, because I'll be honest. The thing that was disheartening about last weekend is we finally get a college atmosphere at Miami. It's the best crowd, best electricity we've had since Notre Dame 2017. It's a chance to at least salvage something in the back half of our season. It's our season rival, our, our state rival, national TV. My buddy Joe Tessator is calling the game. And literally, we got blown out. See, in 1997, we lost 47-0 to Florida State. But as I said yesterday on Brett Romberg's space, I said, hey, guys, that, that was a number two team in the country, Florida State, that could have won the national title. That was a great Florida State team. And that was at Tallahassee. Butch Davis was down to literally 53 players by the end of that year because of sanctions, okay? There was no excuse for what happened. And even and when they hit us on that post pattern to make it 7 nothing. I, I'll be honest, guys, I actually got that sinking feeling. And unless we answer with a touchdown, this game might be over. And then when it got to 14-3, trust me, guys, I saw the writing on the wall just like all you guys. Yeah, the, the pass interference, that was basically the game. And how could that be the game? But that it feel a lot of people felt that right when that happened, that this was the chance to get people juiced up. Um, all right, Steve, before we let you go, is there anything that you want to see the rest of the season that'll make you feel better going into the offseason? Yeah. As Joe Pesci would say, go with the Utes. And I don't mean Utah Utes. Go with the Utes. I want to see Wesley. I heard Wesley Bassan's going to play a lot more this week. I want to see Wesley get 40 to 50 snaps. Nigel E. Kelly. And by the way, this kills me. Can we stop dropping Nigel E. Kelly into coverage? This is giving me D'Onofrio flash. He's our best pure edge rusher. Or will be. If it's third down, I want his hand in the ground going upfield. Um, we could drop Daryl Jackson. Instead. Yeah, I was going to say Daryl oh, Jackson. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Also, um, Jalil Skinner. I want to see his, although he can't block. He missed the block on third and short. And I say, that's a freshman. All right. So whoever is a first or second year player that has some sort of upside that has not played a lot. I'd like to see them. Even a Khalil Brantley, who showed, flashed at Virginia, some physicality out, in the, out on the edge. I'd like to see him get some snaps. And uh, that's all I want to say. I would say something about the running backs, except we're down to our fifth running back. So I don't know what we're going to see there. But anyone that is young and has some sort of upside that has not played a lot, I'd like to see what they have. Because if you're going to be, as Jimmy Johnson once said, about the 89 Cowboys, if you're going to be bad, be young. Well, all right, Steve, always a pleasure. The fan favorite. Appreciate you joining us. We're going to get a happy appearance from you one of these days, maybe after the season. Just I was so going to say, lose. it's not going to be this season. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be maybe for a signing day celebration or something. <laughs> but you've been, you've been there for the downs, and I know you were there for the ups. So you've been through it. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll together. get there. Everyone just keep the faith. This is a process. I know people hate to hear it. We just got to have faith in crystal ball. This was never going to be easy, but with that said, we never thought it, it would be this either. So we have to be fair about it. We just can't have our orange and green glasses on and uh, call me a glutton guys, but uh, wake up Saturday. I will have my Valley sports on. Oh. I never actually thought I would know and memorize what channel my Valley sports is on till this season because we are officially the home of valley sports that's what we are we're valley we're so cowboys are america's team the miami hurricanes we're valley <laughs> sports's team guys well that that's pittsburgh us. game that's our brand that pittsburgh game might be on espn the ocho uh the with, ocho. The way, with the direction of the <laughs> yeah, season and our, so we'll see. our offense is so boring we might be on c-span by the end of the year Jeez. <laughs> that's right that's right Steve, thank you, as always. Absolutely, guys. Stay well. Have a great weekend. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Canes wear still the number one spot for all your 
Canes needs, your South Florida sports teams needs. They got it all. They got the new Miami Knights jerseys coming in, all kinds of new gear coming in, uh, the new Adidas Ultra Boost. Everything you need to get ready for this season, you know, you've been working hard. Christmas is still a long way away. You got some money saved up. Blow it now. Buy some stuff. Get ready for the season. Look right. Everybody else is investing. Invest in yourself. Invest in your wardrobe. Look, no more of these old, ugly shirts from the 2014, 2016 when we lost a lot. New era, new gear, same old Canes wear. The best in the business for South Florida sports. All right, we're going to jump into some Q&A in the bank. But first, I want to congratulate Alexis Kalatayud, the sister of our producer, Anthony. We need to talk about some winning on this podcast. It's losing every single week. We could talk about an actual winner, the youngest state senator, I believe, in, in Florida history, or certainly Florida right now, Florida history. Youngest state senator in Florida history, won a big election, and uh, salute to her, uh, great American and a winner on this podcast, finally. For once. Uh, some other winners. Well, no, you, you've had some winners. I was about your... to say, some other winners are my underdog fantasy picks, underdog fantasy, daily fantasy, promo code CIS. You get a $100 match on your deposit. You can play right away. Um, you can play my picks. Again, had a tough week last week, but still well over $500. $100, free match. CIS promo code, you use the link on the podcast, the YouTube, on the website. Just click the link. You'll get it or use the, again, put in the CIS and, uh, and start playing. Um, I got some picks this week. Let's see if we got some more winners here. Justin Fields has been tearing it up. I like him to, to continue the rushing. They got him 59 and a half rushing yards against Detroit. I'm guessing it's the numbers low because they're expecting them to load up on the run. I think he still gets that. Jalen Waddell over 69.5 receiving yards. And Nick Chubb over 84.5 rushing yards. Uh, those are my three. I'll be watching the Dolphins game closely with some of those. Uh, now, let's get into the bank. Big recruiting weekend. The way it was described to me was it could have been an absolute grand slam if Miami played well, given the environment. Um, but it was still a very, very productive weekend. Uh, big name, you know, Samson. Uh, I only try to pronounce his last name, uh, but the arguably the top tackle in the country. I think many people think he is the top tackle in the country, if not the best player in the country with his wrestling background, with his size. Um, he comes in as a Miami lean. I think he leaves his weekend as a Miami lean, hung out a lot with the IMG guys. Speaking of people involved in that visit, I'm hearing the Miami's in the driver's seat. It doesn't mean it's a slam dunk. It doesn't mean it's a guarantee. It'll be a battle. But I'm hearing that Miami feels very good about Samson coming out of the weekend and better than they went in, and they felt good going in. So that, to me, is the, is the headline, given the quality of that player. Um, the Heritage kids get a lot of attention. Uh, Brandon Innes, Mark Fletcher, Damari Brown. I think that Miami's going to hang around there. I don't think that's something where anything will be imminent. Um, this performance did not help with those guys because you're talking about guys that are used to winning and are, are committed or being recruited by big-time programs, and they're seeing that performance. It doesn't help, but I think Miami's hanging around in the game, and if they get some late momentum, I'm not saying that this is tied to any coaching switch, but if they get some, maybe some positive momentum from a system standpoint um, later on in the process, I think you could see those guys still be in play, but I wouldn't count on them anything imminent with, with those guys. But Miami's working. You saw Coach Cooney tweeting about Brandon Innes. He's working that harder than anybody in the country. Uh, that will be something to watch going forward. Um, I think Miami, if you want to watch what Miami's doing, I mentioned Josiah Horton, or Joshua Horton, I'm sorry, the, the North Carolina commit that Miami's working at defensive tackle. They still like where they stand there. They're still working that hard. They'll still take them. Miami is working on other multiple SEC flips to keep an eye on. Um, Juicy. Some of those names you may not have heard or talked about a ton, but Miami's working those. Uh, I mentioned the three corners, Damari Brown, Jakeem Jackson, Sharif Denson. All of those guys have visited recently. Um, you know, Miami is probably going to end up with one of those, I would say. It could be more, but I'd say probably one of those three. Uh, if I had to pick right now, I would pick Sharif Denson, who's unbelievable in the slot, ran well at Miami's camp, just a great football player, a Florida commit. But... 
that changes by the day. You know, who, 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 who of that group might be the most, uh, most likely. Um, so, you know, keep an eye on those. Tayshawn Lyons from California. Great visit. Um, I heard that coming into the visit is probably more of a long shot. But leaving the visit, you're talking about 50-50 with Washington. Um, not the biggest guy in the world, but somebody with tremendous speed and athletic ability, verified track numbers, and jumping, running, sprinting 100 meters, and having a great senior season. And has length, even though he's not a big guy, you know, 6'1 6'2". So all the news out of the weekend was pretty good. Ruben Bain, there's some headway being made there, uh, even though the performance is not what it should be. So keep an eye, again, on the SEC potential flips there and and progress being made with a Ruben Bain and continued good standing with a Samson. Those would be my big takeaways of the weekend. Heritage guys, hang around. Just stay in the game. Contact sport. Keep making that contact and then make the move once you get momentum. So that would be my report this week. Things are changing. Loss didn't help, but Miami is still expected to land a top 10 class. Class itself looking very strong and solid as far as commits. So, uh, you know, wish it could, it could have been a grand slam, but we'll take doubles after a performance like that. What, what, what is, what is, is it IHOP that has a grand slam or is that Denny's? Oh, good question. Well, you're, you're talking about the pancake honcho himself, yeah. Samson. You know, that's his brand. That's what he's pushing. He's pushing his brand. So, uh, so maybe, maybe we'll do a tie in, you know, set him up. You're the agent. Make it happen. Let's see. Let's see what happens. All right. So Q and A. What do we got? We obviously Kane's community. We want to hear from you always. Twitter, social media, Instagram, Kane's.insight, Twitter, K, at Kane's Insight, the Facebook page, the TikTok page. We want to hear from you guys, and then obviously on the forum. So, uh, what do we got this week? So, have one here from Empirical Kane. Do you think twenty to thirty quality transfer portal subtract? slash additions is realistic, like what Michigan State did in year one with Mel Tucker? I think the subtractions is realistic. I think the majority of the people replacing those subtractions will be high school kids. Cristobal was not a huge transfer portal guy in in Oregon because he recruited great high school players. Um, I have good authority. He does not want a Michigan State type of situation. He doesn't think it's good for culture. But at the same time, he said publicly this week, he wishes he took more from the portal last year, knowing what happened with our depth issues, which we're dealing right. with now. Offensive line. He said it. He said it the other day on, on Joe Rose, too. Right. I mean, offensive line, when you lose Jalen Rivers, who's probably your best offensive lineman, and you, you know, Seymour should not be playing, we got problems there. So um, I think he's not afraid of the portal and certainly not afraid of it after what he's seen this year. But I don't see huge numbers like a USC or Michigan State, right. uh, I think you're going to see impact portal players as opposed to a high volume, but you will see some. I think most of it's going to be people leaving, being replaced by a big high school class, let's say 24 to 26 kids. So next one here from Twi the Twitter GOAT, I'll call him, Miami Mondo at Lakers Canes 305. Which position will have the most movement on the roster via the portal? First of all, shout out to Mondo. He passed his certification test. Um, one of the best. But as far as the positions, I'd say wide receiver, one to two. <clears throat> I think you might be seeing a bigger body out of the portal, considering, you know, Robbie Washington, uh, Ray Ray Joseph, more speed guys, more explosive guys. You might want to add some size through the portal. And, and by the way, we keep saying portal, but Juco is, is, is another route I would say that they're going to look at uh, – and I know they're already looking at it. Absolutely. They're already looking at Juco linebackers. Colby Young was a Juco. Right. Great find there. So, yes, that's that's in play. But I think – and Derek Hunter from from a prior commit. Dude, it's funny because I, I saw his – I mean, I had seen his name last couple years at AM, but I remember that was one of the last kids that I dealt with during his recruitment, and he, and he was a mess at that time. <laughs> and I, was, I still remember that when I saw his name come up. Apparently, he's got, he's got it all together, and he's doing well. Right, which I love to see. I mean, he, his whole recruitment was a, was a circus. You might be I'm talking to him again in, in a couple of years. Uh, but, yeah, so I think Juco, um, linebacker, I know they're already looking at Alabama commit uh, from Juco at linebacker, so that, that's, that's an area. But I think receiver – one to two, uh, big body will be the focus there. Running back, uh, certainly, I think, could be an area you look at a at a junior out of uh, the portal or junior college, probably more portal. Um, 
offensive line, they have a very big recruiting class coming in. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, defensive line, they have a good defensive line class, but there could be somebody coming into play uh, for there, depending on what comes available. You, if, a, if a talented five-star, you look at Texas A&M, I'm not saying any, I don't know any, I have no info on any of these guys, but Texas A&M, they have a lot of guys, kind of a dysfunctional situation over there. If one of those guys came loose, Miami was in the Knicks for a few of them out of high school. I could see that coming into play. Um, linebacker, for sure. And then cornerback. If you lose a DJ Ivy, you lose a T, uh, Tyreek Stevenson, those are your starters. They really have not split a lot of snaps. I mean, they have played basically as long as they've been healthy. So you're going to need someone there. Cormani McClain, you could probably pencil him in as a starter, but you don't want to rely on him. Right. So uh, I could see corner being a position that Miami really needs somebody uh, from the from the transfer portal ranks. Well, Georgia Tech this week, uh, it, it would have been a game that you uh, pencil in as a W before the season, and now it's, uh, it's a 50-50 game pretty much. So we'll see what happens this week, Andy. Absolutely, and uh, you know it'd be nice to have a win, post-win podcast. We're on the road, so it's not going to be a, another fifth-straight home loss. I can celebrate that. I can enjoy my Saturday. Well, hope you guys enjoy this podcast and the interview with Steve Kim. As always, brings the energy. Thank you, Steve, for uh, for joining us tonight, and we'll see you guys next week. Go Canes.